here. But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat now. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> David, you seem to be a little tickled by these uh, airplanes landing at the wrong airport. I, maybe tickled's the wrong word, but... Uh, you keep coming back to, yeah, but it was a good landing. But it was a good landing. <laughs> I get, you know, you know it's, it's 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 my grandmother. Every cloud has a silver lining. I attitude. guess you know, it's that old saying. It's that old saying. Any landing at the wrong airport that you can walk away from, you know, that uh, it's, uh, uh, it's a good buddy landing. Of mine, buddy of mine said after his airplane lost an engine once, and all that was left of it when it stopped moving was a fuselage. And he, he said, but you know, everybody walked away. Everybody walked away, yeah. So what happened <laughs> this time? Southwest to the victims this time, right? Southwest this time, rather than a uh, a, uh, a uh, contract cargo operator flying a, an airplane for its owner, Boeing, uh, landing a very big airplane at a very small airport. This was, I think, proportionally equally as big and maybe even bigger because they almost ran out of skidding space. Yeah. Before where, they got that puppy stopped. Now, what airplane and where'd they land wrongly? Well, it was a 737, and uh, they landed wrongly at uh, an airport near Branson, Missouri. But they didn't land at the Branson Airport, but it, 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 it went about 8 or 10 miles away. I've been in both of them uh, when I was over there doing some photo work years ago. Taney County Airport, uh, about 3,700 feet of runway. Uh, and they, you know, Southwest 737 uh, got in there and stopped. I'm betting that the tires roll a little out around when they te- pulled it away. But <laughs> you think, huh? A little tinder well, of smoke there. You know, the anti-skid does run out at some point. It, it, you know, it finally says, enough. Uh, stab them hard enough, and they slow down enough, and it just goes flat in a spot. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, like, our, like our brakes do. And, uh, so, yeah, because after the world-famous uh, uh, Boeing Dreamlifter, which is kind of a super guppy-eyed 747 uh, that landed at Jabara on 6,000 feet instead of at McConnell on about 10, uh, its intended destination, and, and it was like, wow, you know, that's just, wow, that's unheard of. How could they make such a mistake? It's kind of like people, it happens. I guess. I, I wonder. It, it, it just happens, and, and sometimes it's really innocent enough that you look at it later and go, "Yeah, I could see how you could make that mistake." Uh huh. I, I wonder. You know, there have been so many of these. I mean, I'm not even talking like you know about Cessnas and Pipers. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about you know personal aircraft, the big airplanes landing at the wrong airport. We've probably talked about a half a dozen of these over the years on the podcast. I wonder if there's like a club. Is there a secret club of pilots that <laughs> that landed at the wrong, you know, and they get together at a hangar someplace every now and then and, and, and drink whiskey and go. Oh, oh you mean God. the one where you have to show your temporary suspension from flying <laughs> yeah, papers to qualify? Well, they don't all merit a suspension, but, uh, you know, yeah, maybe something like that, huh? That would be a club, right? You wouldn't want to be a member, but that would be a club. Well, that'd be the next question is how would you have a meeting if nobody would ever admit to membership? Well, you know, I guess. On the other hand, the dues wouldn't break you. That's true. That's true. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. So, anyways, the Southwest, uh, uh, were there any any fallout from this? Are we, uh, you know... uh, 
The pilots uh, get sent to the penalty box, or I don't know what. The, uh, the, the pilots had to sit on a Group W bench, and uh, they were, uh, I believe, suspended was the word used. And we're, I'm sure, facing some uh, some recurrent training when they get back in a letter in their personal file, which will be on their permanent record. Yeah, Matter of fact, right. they'll leap that forward to high school uh-huh, just to uh-huh, make sure yeah. it gets covered. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with a little luck, they'll get back in the cockpit and back to their normal flying duties without much more to do about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeb, you were telling me the other day that you published a story on this subject uh, sometime recently. Yeah, one of our one of our loyal listeners, uh, Mike Hart, um, is uh, has been a contributor uh, now for uh, Aviation Safety Magazine for a number of months. And uh, he uh, put together a nice little article uh, in response to uh, uh, the Dreamliner uh, episode out in Wichita um, that appeared, uh, um, I, guess, I don't know, it was on the street a couple of three weeks before this incident in Branson. Uh, so, yeah, we, we uh, and, and you know, the, the, the tone that, that he and I, well, he and I discussed the thing before, uh, discussed the article before uh, he, he put it, he started putting words on paper. Uh, and the thing of it is, is, you know, this is fairly easy to do. Uh, in our book, um, uh, neither one of us have ever done it, but we totally get uh, how it can happen mm-hmm. and um, uh, how it can happen, especially to a busy uh, 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 flight crew flying heavy iron um, at, at night, um, all, all of these things. So um, it, was, it was a good article. I certainly commend it to, uh, to our listeners uh, and, and thank, uh, thank Mike once again publicly for, uh, uh, for taking the initiative to come up with it. Um, but I, 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 I you know, come back, and I think we've talked about this uh, in, in previous uh, episodes recently when we were talking about the Wichita event. There are those who have, and there are those who will. Right. Yeah, right. I... I uh I'm digging for it, and I can't find it. But I saw a reference, a couple actually references recently to, there's actually a name for, well, so in some of these cases, we talked about the fact that it appeared that what happened was that that the the, 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 the crew made an initial mistake. They, they, they saw something, and they thought it was the, the thing they were going for. They thought right. it was the airport they were going for. Right. And, and once they thought it was the airport they were going for, they, they kind of dug in, all right? And, mm-hmm. just, and there's actually apparently a name for that. If you're not, I'm digging, I wish I could find it, all right? But there's like a you know, so, sort of psychological yeah. name um, for you know, persistent something or other. I have to find it here. D- but, destination uh, fixation is what I've like, heard yeah, of it's, it's, yeah. it's a word like that, David, exactly. You know? So this is not like a, you know, uh, this is a, not just an aviation thing. Uh, is that uh, it's apparently common for the human brain to kind of, you know, yeah. When you, when you commit to a certain decision, uh, there's a certain I don't know tendency among us to resist changing that without some kind of overwhelming catalyst. To, to that you know clashes with our original decision you're looking at runways in the dark with similar orientation you throw in the warped depth perspective that you get at night and at altitude uh and uh then this whole relativity thing you know uh, gee it's so much smaller well but depending on the night and the angle your eyes may not clue that it is as small as it really is. It mm-hmm. may look to you like it's bigger, but farther away. Yeah, 
Yeah. Exactly. And then exactly. the perspective matches up perfectly. Except it's wrong. Yeah, except- <laughs> Which, that's that's basically what happened to the guys at, at Shibara versus McConnell. Uh-huh. Uh, the orientation of the runways there is so similar. All right. uh, both of them have a fair amount of light in excess of the runway being lighted. You know, ramp space and buildings and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but their alignment's about right. Uh, they're almost exactly in line. For, to further add to it, mm-hmm. uh, about an eight and a half mile difference, and depending on the altitude you're looking at it, that six thousand feet can look a lot longer uh, if your brain clues in that it's actually farther away than it really is. Right, right. That that just sets up your perspective for you know a, a mistake right from the beginning. But we all do it. It's true. Yeah, yeah. really, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, anyways. Hey, speaking of uh, committing to uh, questionable decisions, uh, welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. Late again. Uh, I'm Jack Hodgson, uh, coming to you from the Hidden River Home for Wayward Aviators here in Myaka City, Florida. And uh, I'm here talking about. You touched to my, down at the wrong airport? I, well, no, actually, I think this is just exactly the right airport, if you <laughs> ask me. Uh, here talking to my two good friends. Uh, one of those voices is Dave Higdon, talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. How you doing, David? Doing wonderful. Just stay in chill. Yeah, yeah, chill. Now, see, I want to talk about chill. All right, uh, but but so is, is it been? What's it been like over there? It's it, it, we seem to be in yet another one of these cold snaps. Everywhere you look around the country, it's like seriously cold. Well, uh, this this morning when uh, the first pot of coffee was dripping, it was about nine degrees outside. Yeah, see, and that's so, the way it was back up in Lookout Point. It was like in the in the single digits this morning, and uh, and pretty cold. Um, but uh, that brings me to uh, my other good friend who I'm talking to here, my, my host here uh, at Hidden River, Jeb Burnside, who's talking to us from uh, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida, somewhere just in the other room from where I'm sitting <laughs> right now. Um, so, Jeb, how are you doing? Does he have on shorts today? I do not. No, he hasn't had on shorts, and this is what I want to talk about. I, I so did David, have on shorts briefly yesterday. He, he did, he did. And today he was wearing wool socks and, like, layers. And So, David, here's what I want to tell you. I've been Now that I've been down here for a little while you, you know how for like every every winter every fall and winter jeb likes to torture us all right with how nice and toasty warm it is down here in florida all right while we're sitting in in kansas and and, and new hampshire all right well i'm discovering that he's making this all up because it's not warm here at all <laughs> i mean it's like really cold it was was like almost freezing here this morning and that's not the first freezing morning since i've been here all right, it's it's just like freaking cold here. Hey, they've they've been getting snow in Texas, so you know, count your blessings. I guess you know South Texas. They've been getting snow in South Texas. Yeah. Hi, Jeb. How you doing? I'm well. I'm 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 I I'm starting to shiver though after that. I, it was really cold this morning. <laughs> it was. Uh, hey, the question is: Is the snow shovel handy, or has it even been needed? Jeb, what do you have to say about this cold weather? Uh, I don't have a whole lot to say about it, except you know, go away. Uh, it it. Um, well, are you talking about going away cold weather or you cold away me? Because a no, lot of no, no, are blaming no, no. This go away me. cold weather. No, it's not. I, well, I I could blame it on you. Uh huh. But I, I'm not going to do that in public. 
Well, why should you not be the only one? <laughs> Drug down the polar vortex. Right. Uh, a bunch right. of uh, a bunch of the uh, Sea Ring Radio f- people were like openly claiming that I'm the bad seed here. Mm-hmm. And uh, someone, uh, uh, Dave Allen, actually went back to a tweet that I posted like three years ago when I was down here, where it was 37 degrees that day too. And he's using this as evidence to prove that that it's all my fault. The irony is that the Florida people are all like angry at me because I've brought these temperatures to Florida, yet my New Hampshire friends are all asking me to please bring these same temperatures back to New Hampshire, all right? Because they would just, like, eat up 37 degrees in the morning, first thing in yeah, the morning. Yeah, it's, it's all relative. Yeah, really. How you doing, Jeb? What's going on? You, doing, you... doing well. Uh, as you well know, been uh, framing around on various projects, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. the two of us, and uh, uh, my great thanks uh, uh, publicly to you for, for um, helping me nail down li- literally and figuratively one of them today. So. Yes, yeah, so you're very welcome. Uh, it, was, it was a fun project. It was very satisfying and yeah. uh, home improvement stuff, yeah. and uh, glad I can help out because I enjoy coming down here. It's, uh, it's, it's well, a, a real it's, pleasure. You're, yeah. you're always welcome, uh, irrespective of whether we get something like yeah. this accomplished. Now, we had a, uh, a flying visitor here yesterday. Uh, uh-huh. uh, Amy and her husband, Barry, flew up from uh, from Fort Myers to... Uh, RV Chen or... In the Kit, uh, Kit Fox. In the Kit Fox. In the Kit cool. Fox. And, and it's, it's interesting because Amy's flown up here in the Kit Fox when I've been here before. Um, but to see the two of them, because, you know, Amy's kind of a little thing, all right, you know, but Barry's not a little thing. All right? yeah. Barry's kind of and a big guy. to see them unfold out of that kit He really, right, he really right. is kind of a thing to see him climb in and out of that little kit box. Uh, it's, it's very interesting. But he does it. He seems to have figured out the plan. He's got a whole plan. Oh, yeah. He, you know, he yeah, kind of yeah. hoists one leg up and leans over and slides in and, you know, and um, he, he's got it all figured out. But uh, um, they flew up here yesterday, and and we uh, chatted for a while and had had lunch, and uh, you know wandered around looking at the property. And uh, um, I guess Barry'd never been to this this house before. That's yeah. true. He'd been to the other one. But yeah. Not this so uh, Amy, of course, has been here a number of times, and um, we were helping Amy with some projects, and uh, it was a, it was a fun little visit. Uh, so, yeah. Did uh, they taxi over from the runway? Oh yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, we were a little worried Very that cool. she wouldn't remember which. You know which house it was because it's a little bit of a you know turn uh, left, turn right, turn left, it, turn right. Taxi. It's an easy number, I guess. Yeah, I guess. But it she tells fine. me that she and Barry had a little bit of an argument out on this out on the road, you know, out on the, the taxiway, if you will, or the, the the main road before turning. You know, so like Amy's going, yeah, this is the driveway, and Barry's going, I don't think it is. Do you think this is it? And, Bar- and Amy's going, oh yeah, it definitely is. And so they apparently had a little thing out there. For, but uh, <laughs> Amy was right, and they taxied in and. Uh, um, it was a nice visit. We had a good time. Yeah. We had a good yeah. time. Always. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. What's going on here? There was one other thing. David, uh, what was this next item here? Top 10. What is this now? 10 most wanted list. NTSB, the, 10 most wanted list. What, yeah, what, they, what they, is this they, list all about? And what, why, why are we excited that, that GA gets two of them? Well, I'm not sure excited is the word. Uh, Could have been we, worse. Well, that's one thing, but we always like to note what the NTSB considers to be priority, and that's basically what this list is. It's the safety board membership's top 10 safety priorities across all the transportation modes, not just aviation. So you've got one here, address unique characteristics of helicopter operations. Uh, Another, advance Passenger vessel safety. That's maritime. Uh, eliminate distraction in transportation. I, I'm prepared to, to, to go out on a limb and say that would be almost universal 
from the uh-huh. stuff that's been going on these days. Eliminate substance-impaired driving, very specific. Enhance pipeline safety, again, very specific. Improve fire safety and transportation. Uh, there's some across-the-board implications there. General aviation, colon, identify and communicate hazardous weather. Uh, and then implement positive train control systems, that's railroads. Promote operational safety in rail mass transit, that's primarily interurban commuter rail. Mm-hmm. And then strengthen occupant protection and transportation which is some generic applications and some specifics uh, all wrapped up in one. Right. So okay. That's the top ten. The top ten something. The top, top ten transportation transporta- safety, safety issues. improvement priorities okay. that the board would like to see occur. What's going on? NTSB seems to be into lists these days. Have they always been doing this? We've talked about two lists a while ago. Now this is another one. And, They've uh, done this top ten thing for some time. Have they? Yeah. This is, Quite a while, this is yeah. not new. Um, but to, I think there's a fondness, if you will, by uh, institutions for things that tend to help focus attention on issues that they want to talk about. And as you can see, going through the checkout line at any supermarket and look at the magazine covers, lists of things to oh, do yeah. are huge. There's a name for it. In the web, they call them listicles. Listicles. Listicles? Uh, yeah, listicles. Like, I think that's what they call them. And, so if uh, there's more than one, is that listicles? Yeah, I know. I don't know. You know, but there's a, there's a, there are many websites have discovered that if you have a if the headline of your story is, you know, five ways you can this, you know, or top ten reasons for that, all right? If, that, that, if you it, leave them out, are you neutral? It will, it will really attract people to that story. It's, a, it's very, very compelling. People like to read lists, apparently. And so uh, to that it extent, it's smart. You know, They're it, getting the word out. But uh, it, it, It's big in book publishing, too. Is it? Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. So which two are general aviation? Uh, obviously, the one that says general aviation, identify and communicate hazardous weather. What was the other one? Helicopter operations. Helicopter operations, yeah, okay. Um, is there anything to be said? I mean, are, are these just kind of general, you know, kind of are, are there very specific recommendations here? Or what's, what's this all about? What Can we learn something from this? I think they're worth reading just so that we can have an idea about from where some policy uh, efforts mm-hmm. might come. And the reason I put this on here is because uh, in the last few years, there have been a, a, a small number, and I mean a really small number of incidents in which the uh, words uh, obstructive sleep apnea also appeared in uh, safety reports where fatigue was an issue. And the intersection of those two things I think it's behind the chief air surgeon's recent big push to create a new policy requiring screening for sleep apnea by a sleep specialist if you had a body mass index above a certain point. If that's the way regulatory people are going to come up with new ideas these days, paying attention to what the NTSB puts on its 10-whatever list is good preparation for fighting back. Okay. Jeff, what are your thoughts on this? It is, and notably absent from the 
NTSB's top 10 list is anything regarding fatigue or sleep apnea. Uh, so we get that on the record. Yeah. Um, good point. Good, good point. Because that the, big train crash in New York City a month or so ago mm-hmm, was mm-hmm, a, apparently mm-hmm. uh, fatigue-related. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess I come away from this in, in, from, with two observations. Um, one is I'm kind of heartened. I'm, I'm grateful that general aviation is only on the list for uh, two recommendations or two, or two of the most wanted uh, trans, uh, safety changes, and one of them really only applies to a small, a relatively small subset of general aviation operations uh, as a whole, and that's True. relative to helicopters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that is not the same as saying that uh, um, general aviation is is um, has resolved all of its safety uh, challenges. No, I uh, but in uh, and, 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 yeah, I think in, in previous years, uh, general aviation would have seen uh, perhaps um, a higher number of of targeted uh, um, most wanted items. Okay, we can go back and probably could while we're sitting here talking, um, go back and look at previous years most wanted lists, and I think general aviation would would on average. Have a higher number of hits uh, out of out of the ten uh, slots on these on these lists. Really, you think so? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's um, a, it's a, it's a it's an evergreen. It's it's an evergreen thing. It's exactly. an evergreen, and exactly. it's this this is fairly specific when you read uh, you know what follows the link at the NTSB site. General aviation identify and communicate hazardous weather. What's the issue? And they talk about the overwhelming majority of aviation-related deaths in in the U.S. occurring in GA accidents. Uh, The stats from 2011, the most recent year, fully available. Uh, 263 fatal accidents out of 1,466 total uh, with 440 people killed. Uh, And then they run into the accident rate per thousand. And then they get into the nub of it. The frequent cause of or contributing factor to these accidents is hazardous weather. And they cite some examples and how either old information, the lack of good information, uh, the misuse of information, the misunderstanding of information, uh, how these all contribute in their own ways to some of these weather-related fatal accidents. Judgment also being, I would say, probably the most significant factor in all of them yeah right yeah right. do you have any final thoughts on this top 10 list um well yeah one one final thought and that is that just because general aviation isn't um um specifically the focus of one of these um, um hot button items uh, issued by the ntsb doesn't mean that several of them do not apply in addition to the two formal recommendations. For example, uh, one of the uh, top ten uh, most wanted uh, items from the NTSB is eliminate distractions in transportation. Well, that, uh, that applies broadly, and it certainly should apply to general aviation operations. Here, here, here. Okay. Um, another one, uh, eliminate substance-impaired driving. 
Well, you know, general aviation as a rule does not have a substance abuse problem. Every now and then you'll hear of of some guy who's, yeah, hey, hand me another beer while you know, I get the gear up, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's certainly something to be frowned upon. It's certainly something we don't support. And it's certainly something that we should all be, be watchful of. Um, a third uh, um, item here, uh, improve fire safety in transportation. Um, some aircraft, uh, uh, notably older ones, um, uh, are not uh, as safe as they could be when it comes to um, preventing um, fires once, once the aircraft crashes, once the aircraft is, is um, on the ground, not on a runway, for example. Um, there are things that uh, might be better done um, to the in-service fleet, but there are certainly ways to design in uh, that kind of, of safety um, to new designs, to mm-hmm. new engineering. And, and that's something that um, um, we could always talk about also. And I think a final thing here is uh, strength and occupant protection in transportation, which is the 10th the item on the NTSB's most wanted list. Um, there are a lot of airplanes still out there flying around with just lap belts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, shoulder harnesses are, are a demonstrated way to help minimize or prevent occupant uh, uh, injuries in the event of, a, of an, an incident or an accident. Um, the FAA over the years has actually made it uh, less cumbersome for operators and owners to install shoulder harnesses in, in aircraft uh, of all sizes. Mm-hmm. And uh, have has promoted that over the years, and and maybe it's something that uh, um, uh, we should be revisiting as an industry. Maybe it's something that owners of aircraft with just lap belts uh, should be revisiting on their own. Cool. But most uh, most of the GA airplanes made since World War II uh, have an STC hanging out there somewhere. Yeah. To retrofit shoulder harnesses, uh, and on top of that, sticking with your theme there, Jeb, uh, just replacing those belts uh, should be a consideration. They don't last forever. That's, uh, a very, that's a very good observation. They are made out of, um, as a rule, um, nylon or, or some other you know, uh, man-made fiber. And as a rule, they will deteriorate uh, with age. They will deteriorate if they get you know stressed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, we've all—I don't know about all—but I've certainly heard and seen some horror stories relative to the the anchoring of safety belts and shoulder harnesses in aircraft, where um, um, maybe you maybe have a the right size bolt, but um, um, maybe it's it's. Uh, the the the, um, the tang that the the bolt goes through uh, is is encrusted with rust. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not gonna it's not gonna hold its rated strength. Uh, in some cases, the the bolt is uh, uh, you know aisle ten at Home Depot. Um, that's not kosher either. Yeah, that will give and, and break under under stress. Okay. Yeah. So there's all kinds of little things that. Uh, uh, we can do uh, proactively um, to help prevent uh, these kinds of to, to help you know I should say strengthen occupant protection as the NTSB wants. 
And if you've got an, an, an airplane and you're thinking about that kind of an upgrade because you're smart and spending money on safety is seldom a bad thing, uh, keep in mind that in high probability there's an STC system out there that will add an airbag system to your airplane. Exactly. And dramatically improve your chances of walking away without a mark uh, in the event of an unplanned and rapid deceleration mm-hmm. uh, on the on the surface. Yeah, because trust me, from from hands-on experience, it's only the sudden stop that hurts you. There you go. Well, that's that's correct. And and you know the, the occupant protection, the phrase occupant protection, um, certainly can involve uh, airbags. It certainly can involve um, shoulder harnesses and things like that. But what we're talking about here is preventing the secondary collision. The secondary collision being the one between the occupant and the uh, uh, the conveyance. Right. Uh, whether it's an instrument panel in a, in an airplane, whether it's uh, the steering wheel of a of a tractor, whether it's the seat in front of you in a in a uh, inner city bus. Um, the idea is to prevent that, or, or at least minimize. Uh, the forces involved in that secondary collision, and um, that's something that all pilots and, and, and owners and operators should be uh, thinking about strongly. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, it bears remembering. It bears remembering that anything in front of you is going to stop faster and sooner that's than right. you do in a collision, and things behind you that aren't secured will generally. Keep well, right on coming. <laughs> That's right. They're going to keep right on coming, and they will find you the hard way. Clear. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations with which they work. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general in nature. You should always consider your situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. David, uh, David, sad, sad situation here. Um, Tell us a little bit about Henry Ogrodzinski. Uh, Henry O is what, as as I was always uh, uh, told, introduced to him, and uh, I met him a few times. Very very cool, very fun guy. I never met him in a professional capacity, but I met him. Many, you you introduced me to him many times in a social and kind of a uh, an Oshkosh um, environment, and he's just <laughs> just a very very friendly guy and a big smile and and uh, and from what I've heard, a great champion of general aviation. Um, and uh, and sadly passed away just uh, in the last day or so. Um, uh, you yeah, last, him, that last night. Yeah, uh, you you knew him pretty well, as I understand it. Tell us a little bit about Henry O. Henry was the definition of a human being. Uh, bright, smart, personable, uh, enthusiastic about whatever he got involved with. And we were lucky in general aviation to have him get involved in aviation after doing a little bit of flying uh, and I think maybe a parachute jump. Uh, He landed a job as a number two in PR in communications at the Experimental Aircraft Association. And that's where Henry and I 
first linked up uh, in 1981. Uh, he was a tireless advocate for GA. He worked his way from EAA to Gamma, from Gamma to Gulfstream, from Gulfstream to running the Dayton Air Show, uh, from the Dayton Air Show to uh, running the National Association of State Aviation Officials for, oh, Jiminy, 17 years, 18 years, something like that now. Uh, Henry and I have a... A long time agreement about all the fun things and not fun things that we helped one another through over the years. We called it our MAD Treaty. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was carved out during what he'd like to call the Great Volkswagen Potsdam Conference of 1982 <laughs> in the front seat of what an EAA's uh, uh, red, uh, what was it, blue one Volkswagen uh, out among the parked ultralights during the first ultralight fly in at, uh, at Oshkosh. Uh, and we had the good fortune of being in the same town at the same time for several years when he came to work for Gamma uh, and got to hang out a lot more than often uh, than we ever had before. Uh, we didn't always talk real frequently, but we were always close. And Henry learned that he had uh, uh, terminal cancer. Oh, goodness. Four years ago now? Mm-hmm. Close has to it, it. it. Was it that long ago? I know, three. Yeah. Uh, and we talked... Uh, very early after he got the diagnosis, he hadn't started treatment yet. Uh, we talked frequently there for a while. And the thing that impressed me most about Henry was that after the first hour's conversation following the diagnosis, uh, you knew categorically that there was no way in hell the disease that he'd been unfortunate enough to contract was going to in any way redefine his life. Mm-hmm. He was going to accommodate what it took to treat it, but otherwise he was going on with life as he as he lived it, as he enjoyed it. And uh, when we last got a chance to uh, visit face to face, it was at NBAA this past year. Uh, he had all of his hair back. He'd put some weight back on. Uh, had all the twinkle, most of the energy. And all the enthusiasm for being in aviation that he'd had for the 30-odd years that we've known one another. Uh, There's no replacing him. Jeb, you knew Henry as well. What what, what were your impressions? Yeah, not nearly as well as or for as long as as Dave has. Um, My impressions were very similar to to Dave's. Henry was a tireless worker, a uh, tireless advocate for, for general aviation generally, uh, and certainly the organizations uh, for which he worked and, and wh- in which he represented over the years. Um, I, I never, in all the times that I'd, I'd, in, I'd encountered Henry, both personally and professionally over the years, um, he never had a crossword. He he never. Um, I never saw him. Um, I, I won't say. Uh, never saw him get angry. I have seen him. You know, I've seen him frustrated. I've seen him determined. Uh, but I've never seen him. You know, 
um, express that dissatisfaction um, um, as some of us might. Um, it wasn't directed at an individual. It was directed at well, you know, the, the situation, and let's let's see if we can, you know, fix the situation, not so much the individual who who might uh, uh, be behind the problem. Um, he always it, it, twinkle is 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 the the exact uh, word that I, I used earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, he always had a twinkle in his eye. He always he always had a, a smile. Um, he always had uh, um, something nice to say. He always. Um, had a positive outlook on um, things personal and professional. And that's one of the things that made him, um, in my book, uh, one, of the, one of the really good guys in this industry over time. Um, others uh, online today have, have uh, uh, and I think uh, NBAA um, had a very nice uh, uh, press release earlier today, um, talking about um, uh, some of his other work, for example, um, uh, he was on the um, um, board of nominations of the National Aviation Hall of Fame. Uh, he was a member of the National Aeronautic Association's board of directors that helped choose that organization's Collier Trophy and, and Brewer Trophy selections. Um, he was also he was a past president of the Aero Club of Washington, uh, not that long ago. Um, um, uh, Ed Bolin at, at NBA, president of NBA, had was quoted as in this press release as saying he'd been a constant, strong, and effective advocate for general aviation. And I think um, um, Ed in this release. Uh, uh, noted um, that Henry was one of the, the industry's greatest statesmen. Now, Ed and and, Hen- and and Henry and I and Dave and and a lot of other people um, who are currently still in this industry go back to the to the seventies and eighties when uh, people like John Baker were at AOPA and uh, John Winant was at NBAA and Ed Stimson was at Gamma. And uh, we think of those individuals as having cast very long shadows, as having um, steered their various organizations, their respective organizations, through some some tough times and some uh, um, reinventing, perhaps the uh, um, the world of general aviation, the, the the general aviation trade associations that they represented, certainly. Um, and we're, we're statesmanlike in their in their conduct. Uh, um, it's it's heartening to see um, Henry uh, cast in that same light. I re- distinctly remember a conversation with him talking about those days and how the John Bakers and John Winans and Ed Stimpsons loomed very very large and were the statesmen of their time. Um, I would certainly uh, uh, put Henry in that category today. Yeah. So I think it it goes without saying that our thoughts and prayers are with uh, Henry O's family and his close friends, and uh, we thank him for all of his contributions in promoting and protecting general aviation. Uh, 
So uh, Sebring, we uh, uh, Jeb and I were at Sebring, and uh, Dave, I know you were paying a lot of attention from afar uh, about what went on in the LSA world um, in Sebring uh, last week. Um, a couple of things of, of note. There were, you know, as we mentioned, or maybe we, maybe we talked about this before we started recording, but uh, um, the, the the show seemed to Jeb and I to start out a little slow, and then and then really picked up speed. Um, when we were back there on Saturday, we saw all kinds of interesting things that we maybe, you know, either weren't apparent or we missed on on earlier in the week, like like skylines. Like Skylines, that's right. I don't know. David, I'm not sure if David's listened to the to the daily, but uh, yeah, there was a Skyline issue situation thing. Um, uh, a couple of interesting airplanes that, that that came out of this whole thing. And David, I, I you know you, you asked us to take a look at the uh, I believe it was the Rand's um, S20, um, a, a pretty interesting little airplane. And uh, you asked us to take a look at the. Uh, what was the other one? The Renegade Raven, I believe, was the other one that you asked us to take a look at. And uh, both interesting airplanes. Um, you know, what, what about those airplanes caught your attention, David? Uh, well, the Rand's airplane was because it was, uh, if, you, if you harken back to last July, Rand's was showing the skeleton of a new airplane it had under development, but was sharing few details about what it was going to be, what oh, it was okay. going to be called. And the new Rand's airplane that we saw, that you guys saw down at, uh, at Sebring, uh, is the manifestation of that project. Uh, and it blends a new welded tube fuselage mm-hmm. with basically the wing off the S7 Courier. That's his tailwheel tandem seat bush plane that's LSA approved. Okay. Uh, and it puts those two together, except it's a side-by-side c- cabin and gives you the option of a tailwheel or a tricycle gear. Uh, I think he might do fairly well with that because the market's really crowded with tandem seat tailwheel airplanes uh if you consider all the cub clones and the s7 courier uh but really husky good useful load yeah side by side tailwheel airplanes are kind of a rarity yeah this s20 made me think um a, a lot when i was standing by it and looking at it, it made me think of the highlander um uh huh. That's one of the that's one of the exceptions to what I consider the rule right now. Yeah, the Highlander uh, being the airplane that was somewhat notorious notorious in a good way, famous um, for the uh, YouTube videos of the pilot who was landing it in all kinds of bizarre, you know, uh, unimproved situations, mountaintops, and the uh, the legendary um, um, dead stick takeoff uh, flight right. uh, video was the Highlander. And the uh, S-20 felt a lot like the Highlander in many ways. So uh, that was kind of interesting. The Renegade Falcon, we didn't actually see the aircraft. Um, I believe the one they had there, apparently they haven't really started working, they haven't started manufacturing them yet. They have a a, a test uh, uh, example um, that's not a tail dragger. You asked us to look into the tail dragger, a a nose wheel one that was out doing demo flights, I believe. Um, but uh, it, it's apparently a, a modern, I don't know what the right word is, modernization or a, a, a improvements on a, a Renegade, an earlier version of the, of the Renegade Falcon that, we, that Jeb and I saw a year ago at Sebring. Um, and they've apparently uh, made some improvements to the manufacturing processes and uh, you know, some other improvements to the, to, I don't know, to the airframe and whatnot, made it lighter well, and stronger. I was going to say, they looked like they took some weight out of it. That's and- what they told me, yes. And uh, if they put it on a tailwheel, they'll take a few more pounds out of it still. Mm-hmm. 
because what it takes to make the fuselage strong enough to handle a, 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 the third wheel being in the back is not more than what you lose by not having structure for the nose wheel. Mm-hmm. So it kind of works out as a, as a, as a weight loser. Right, to, right. Uh, not another, to mention drag. Yeah. Another airplane that seemed to get a lot of, I, I just seemed to see references to it. I certainly saw it around the field, around the field there a lot at uh, Sebring, um, and that is the uh, Vans RB12. Um, Jeb and I were trying to remember, and David, you probably know the answer to this. Um, is the RV-12 the first um, manu- fully manufactured airplane that Vans has done? Well, yeah. Yeah, uh, so they've always delivered kits, you know, that are, you know, to some extent manufactured but not finished. And and am I right? The RV-12 is a ready-to-fly, off-the-assembly line Manufactured okay. by Vans Airplane. This is not a clear yes and yes answer. Oh, okay. Okay. What Vans Aircraft did was create a, uh, a they qualified the, the RV-12 as a SLSA and then qualified a kit as ELSA from which you can build it without doing 51%. Okay. Mm-hmm. You follow those first two steps. Yeah. Okay, now they're working with a third party who is assembling the kits and delivering them as completed airplanes, but Vans itself is not doing the production. Ah, I didn't know that part. Okay. See, that's why I wasn't a simple, straightforward yes and yes answer. Right, right. But it is the first airplane, Vans airplane, that you can buy ready-built and not be doing some kind of nod, nod, wink, wink at the experimental amateur belt rig. Mm-hmm. So, so as far as the RV twelve is concerned, Vans is still in the kit business. They they deliver a kit, and then somebody else finishes it. Is that somebody else puts it together uh, under the standard of the kit that Vans offers, uh, and uh, that means you're limited on the avionics package. You just can't come in and put anything you want in it. It's got to be what they had as approved equipment or optionally approved equipment to go into SLSA approval process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, they can deliver that as an ELSA kit with varying degrees of equipment level, if you will. Right, right. So, uh, But uh, that's basically what they're doing. Uh, I think if it... It's obviously past muster with the with the uh, uh, regional office people up there. They'd be all over it, like in Enron on an aileron. Okay, Jeb. Any uh, final any thoughts on the RV twelve or other airplanes we saw at Sebring? Um, the only thought I would have is is um, it looks like a nice little airplane. I didn't I didn't get too close to it. I didn't fly it. Um, it was. The one they had was was very busy. Yeah, they and, were, and, and and therein is my my uh, my real thing to say. Yeah, um, that puppy was hustling. It was uh, doing demo rides yep. all four days of the show, as best I can tell. Yep. And I'm not aware of any uh, any reasons that it had to be sidelined or and they had to take it off the line or anything like that. So uh, I don't know. I'm guessing that uh, between the hours of say 8 a.m. and and 5 p.m., uh, which would total up, if my math is correct, about nine hours a day. Um, that thing was, you know, except for taking some some breaks to uh, do some photo work and and uh, 
put gas and oil in it and, and brief the next guy going for the ride, um, it was it was um, the prop was turning. So they were putting you know four or five hours a day on yeah. that airplane without any apparent problems whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. It looks cool too. Yeah, you like it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's got a big, bloody cabin for one thing, right? Uh, and a reasonable luggage capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one of the things that jumped out at me with the Rand's airplane, right? Right. They're actually building a contained, defined luggage space in the back and giving it a capacity rating of eighty pounds. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, Jiminy, that's a lot of luggage. Right. Yeah. Uh, the I vans, mean, by uh, the way, we should point out is as uh, the one we were seeing was tricycle gear. Um, obviously, two seats because it's LSA uh, and uh, the the traditional vans, uh, b- bubble canopy kind of thing. And uh, yeah, cool looking little airplane. I agree. I agree. We uh, talked, I don't know if it was, well, it was, certainly wasn't the last episode because we've been talking about Sebring stuff, but uh, in a recent episode, we talked about this crash, at, this BizJet crash at Aspen. And uh, oh, it, it's yeah. kind of interesting that some uh, surveillance camera video has, has surfaced that actually show the, uh, the impact. Um, and uh, it, it, have you guys seen this video? It's kind of interesting. It's, yeah, it's... Uh, it's uh... It's it's not what I, I was extremely interesting. That wasn't what I was expecting either. Yeah, why why do you think it's extremely interesting, Jeb? Um, there's only one or two anglers. There's it, the video is a compilation of uh, scenes from five different cameras uh, situated around the Aspen Airport. Uh, so that's that's one interesting aspect. Another interesting aspect has to do with the fact that it's all infrared video. It's mm-hmm. not it's not. Uh, uh, real, um, real color uh, video. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. The third thing that's interesting here is in some of the scenes, you can you can see the wind blowing snow or blowing uh, other debris or you know maybe just blowing cold air because mm-hmm. it's an infrared mm-hmm. it's an infrared image. Ah, um, uh, Jesus. Yeah. And then the, you see the accident sequence on, on one of the, the towards the tail end of the video, and you're like, "Whoa!" Yeah. Um, what about? Uh, and you both had that experience. Yeah, describe there, it for us. What did you there, see? What I saw was someone trying to force a, a business jet onto a runway. Yeah, a bounce, and um, it's not clear. If the the forcing onto the runway and the bounce themselves uh, broke something on the airplane, or if a crew person um, then um, tried to force the airplane back onto the runway after the bounce, um, but it was it was that second encounter with the runway that uh, right. caused caused the uh, uh, the proximate anyway cause of the accident. You could. You could argue that, you know, you could argue whether or not that bounce was recoverable. Uh, it was a fairly high bounce. Yeah, it hit hard. Uh, That's one hit, of the things that really surprised yeah, me. It really hit hard. The bounce was high. It's not at all clear if the airplane was intact at that point. Right. Okay. Uh, it's not at all clear what its airspeed was. Right. Because there was, then there was a big and, bloom of, of light on the, on the, on the vision right, so that you couldn't right. really see what happened to the airplane after exactly. that. Exactly. After that, you couldn't discern really any details about its, its uh, 
attitude, its its configuration, you know, anything associated with it, except the flash, the the bright flash of light, of course, being uh, fire breaking out during the accident sequence. Yeah. Um, but um, there's a lot to, to to critique there. Um, there's a lot uh, uh, that can be said about. Landing downwind. Landing downwind. And, you know, and and not to make light of the situation, I'm truly not making light of the situation, but, Jeb, you you have jokingly, and this is is commented in the past about, you know, what have you said? The the only thing more dangerous than an airplane with one pilot is an airplane with two pilots. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and this one had three pilots on board, and time will tell whether that played into this, but, you know. Yeah, it will. Um, it's, It's not at all clear. Um, there is some information out there, but it's relative to who was in what seat and these kinds right. of things. Yeah. It's not at all clear um, who was the, the pilot flying. Uh, it's not at all clear what kind of direction um, that individual was receiving from, say, someone sitting in a jump seat, etc. Um, so, again, you know, we're going to wait for the NTSB yeah. to do its thing, and, and uh, this video will be of, of, of assistance to them. Uh, but again, you know, it's a, it's a holy crap kind of thing. So, um, if you want a textbook or, or a video example of how to mishandle a bounce, this is certainly one of it. But if you want another example of why airplanes land into the wind uh, and why the Aspen Airport uh, is um, in a kind of a category or a class all its own, mm-hmm. This will give you that 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 uh, the reasons. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and, and backing up, Jim, on the classic case of how not to handle a bounce, uh, because after the bounce starts, the airplane actually starts to pitch up mm-hmm. more. When it, if it had not pitched up more, instead of gotten you know whatever emergency thrust level you could get out of them i'm still not sure that they wouldn't have hit the ground again but they would hit the ground on their way out of there yeah. uh as opposed to you know full full bore no 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 flying speed there at all at that attitude with a tailwind to begin with and it just free fell from from the, the peak of that bounce into the runway and and that was it. Mm-hmm. It's it's startling to see it pitch up that way. Yeah, I, I really didn't expect to see it that clearly, but wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, that's um, more information on that. As you said, the NTSB will get those videos and that'll help them with uh, their their you know determination process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shout it's outs. Just seldom healthy to fall from more than a wingspan above the ground. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and not to not to preempt uh, Jack here on trying to get the shout outs, but um, one of the things that um, um, this exemplifies about bounces and, and kind of botched landings in, in general, um, you always want to try to keep some back pressure. Uh, you always want to try to keep that that uh, that nose wheel if you're flying a nose wheel airplane uh, you want to try to keep that light you want to try to keep the nose above the horizon or I should say above the uh, above level um, it's it's impossible to tell 
what kind of, of uh, crew inputs were being applied to the airplane. But True. part of the, the problem with the bounce recovery in this instance um, is the nose then hit the runway first. Uh, or I should say, um, after the bounce, the airplane went back into the air completely. Uh, when it next hit the ground, it hit the ground nose first. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's never, ever, ever something you want to let happen. Uh, you wipe out the nose gear at a minimum, uh, and at a, at a maximum, you'll have a fatality like we saw in this instance. Um, you, uh, if, you, if you let the nose drop, if you let the nose contact the runway first, all is lost. Shoutouts. What do we got here? Anybody got any shoutouts? I've got a couple, um, but uh, you, you want me to go first? You do. Well, I'll, I'll go first. All right. Uh, uh, this, uh, I'll just give a shout-out to Jack Hodgson. Uh, for all the effort that you put in here recently on getting, the, uh, uh, getting caught up on uh, back episodes, on uh, some of the, the coding issues and, and configuration issues with uh, the website and specifically the forums that you'll get to in a moment. Um, thank you. Oh. And, and, and job well done. Thank you. Seriously. seriously. Thank you. Yes. Here, here. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, it, it, we did fall a little behind, but, uh, but we have gotten caught up now. And knock on wood, we'll stay caught up for, uh, for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Thank you, Jeb. I appreciate that. No, that's Very sincerely, kind of you. sincerely appreciated. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, um, uh, one shout out I have here, uh, just a kind of a quick shout out is uh, from a f related to an item in the forums. Um, a, a good friend of the podcast, Champ Guy, uh, a great, great uh, uh, proponent or uh, uh, supporter of general aviation, flies his, uh, his uh, uh, Aronka Champ um, out of uh, Oregon. Um, Champ Guy is written in the uh, uh, in the forums. He picked up on a, on a thread that uh, had started a long time ago that I asked people to tell, tell us about some of the subjects we've talked about on the podcast that we should return to, that we should, uh, that, uh, you know, kind of because they need updates or it's just a good thing to talk about on a regular basis. Champ Guy says, one issue worth exploring is keeping small local airports open and connected to the communities they serve. Here in Florence, that's Florence, Oregon, um, we have an AVG, Airport Volunteer Group, to keep the airport office and FBO open. Most of us serve about two days a month. Uh, the city does the maintenance and keeps the power on, but we start the coffee and open up each day for a coffee club, then greet visitors and sign out the loaner car and report anything that needs looking after. Um, I, I think that's great. I mean, I, that's just, you know, that's a great way of keeping the the the, uh, the uh, it, you know the airport community vibrant you know because you've got people involved the other place i'm really familiar with that kind of a, of a situation was when we did acrocamp a couple summers ago at ray community airport in michigan and uh, they did the same kind of thing where you know we were there for about six or seven days one summer and uh, each morning um, the uh, some volunteer would appear there at the uh, at the little pilot lounge and would uh, would start the coffee and would kind of straighten out the uh, you know the the debris or whatever from the day before and kind of get things ready and as a result they had a really really well kept up and and fun and pleasant place for pilots both local pilots and and transient pilots to hang out so uh, that, that's a that's a good lesson I think I, I like that that Champ guy has, has called attention to the AVG the Airport Volunteer Group that they uh, they do it at Florence any thoughts on that. 
Um, yes, actually. Um, and it kind of gets into a, a second uh, shout-out. Um, there was a, an article on, um, on AOPA's website. It was originally posted on uh, yesterday. Uh, I read it today. It, has, uh, it involves the, the Venice, Florida airport, uh, not coincidentally an airport I used to be based at, uh, which is obviously near, uh, near Sarasota. Um, and the, um, uh, the article talks about how the Venice, Florida airport has, has a new lease on life, quote-unquote. Um, and uh, kind of hit the I – won't, I won't steal the, the article's thunder. Uh, kind of hit the nail on the head here real quickly, though. Um, the airport was, was strongly, heavily embattled. Uh, by mm-hmm. by local citizens who um, some of them um, had their own uh, um, uh, uh, bones to pick, uh, if you will, with the airport involving noise and and just you know the unknown of of what goes on at a general aviation airport and every now and then yeah there's a little fender bender or something like that and and oh my god you know there's going to be an airplane fall on my house you know kind of thing so there's there was always that kind of thing but there was always uh, you know People who wanted to use the airport property for other purposes, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Uh, if if you know, gee, you know, we could close that airport. There's like you know, six or eight hundred acres there we could develop, and there's mm-hmm. no telling what kind of money we could make if we just get that blinking airport closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, um, uh, cooler heads prevailed, and uh, it appears, for all intent and purpose, that uh, uh, the airport. Uh, it has been rejuvenated. Uh, That's it's, great. It's, um, and it's a lot of its problems uh, have gone away. Part of, of the reason for that is uh, um, some airport advocacy types uh, were able to get involved in um, local politics and, and um, um, are on the, on the city council and, and have, have displaced anti-airport types who are also in those similar positions. Mm-hmm. But I think much more importantly, uh, having, having uh, uh, witnessed some of these um, events over the last several years, there was one individual who uh, took this bull by the horns, provided the leadership um, to, to see this through, uh, and that's uh, a gentleman by the name of Nick Carlucci. Uh, he was, uh, he's, at the time, when I moved down here and started frequenting the, the Venice Airport, he was president of something called the um, um, Venice Airport, I'm sorry, Venice Aviation Society Inc. The acronym conveniently is VASI, and uh, like yeah, yeah, he was uh, uh, one of these uh, uh, larger than life kind of guys uh-huh. who um, I should say is one of these larger than life kind of guys who uh, you know takes the bull by the horns. Um, knows what he wants, knows how to get it, knows that uh, you're not going to get what you want with vinegar, but you can maybe get a little bit closer if you use sugar. Um, And um, I think he, more than perhaps anyone, deserves the lion's share of the credit for turning around the situation at the Venice airport. And my shout-out is to Nick Carlucci. Nice.
Nice. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. I know that I, I, in recent visits down here, you've told me the story about it being mm-hmm. battled. And uh, it, it's nice to hear that things are turning around a little bit. It's an, it seems like a great GA airport. Um, it, and it's it's got a great location right there along the Gulf. And mm-hmm. it's uh, got a nice restaurant right there on mm-hmm. the field and uh, a lot of hangars. And uh, yeah. it seems like a great airport. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. 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 Two quick things here. Um, as, as Jeb alluded to, uh, the, uh, the forums are back. Um, and uh, I, I, I give a lot of credit for this to the fact that when we had the meetup, we had the UCAP meetup at Sebring, uh, all of the listeners, the listeners that I spoke to uh, during that meetup were unanimous that they wanted. I had a couple of ideas of alternate w- things we could do as opposed to uh, trying to bring back the forums. And, uh, and the listeners I spoke to that morning um, were unanimous in, in wanting the forums to come back. And so that, that kind of tipped me over the edge, and I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And so I spent uh, uh, sort of the next, I don't know if it was the next afternoon or, or an afternoon a couple of days later, uh, figuring out how to solve the problems with the forums. And uh, knock on wood, so far so good. But the forums now are back online, and a handful of listeners have already discovered that uh, they're back and are, are posting there. So uh, as I mentioned, Champ Guy has been posting there, and, and uh, Jeff Ward has been posting there, and Laminar, and uh, who else? A couple other people have uh, discovered the forums. So the forums are back, and uh, we urge everyone to, to uh, go and take a look there. Even if you just read uh, some of the things that are written there, um, it's, a, it's a fun resource, and, and we'd love to hear from you there, too. So uh, um, we, we, Jeb and, and Dave and I uh, do uh, keep an eye on the forums, and, and we, know the, we see the things that are posted there. So the forums are back. Uh, take a look. You can go to uncontrolledairspace.com, and, uh, and there's a link link there for forums and, and wasn't there a song about it the forums are back and there's gonna be trouble hey. <laughs> finally finally uh, one of the reasons that amy was up here the other day is that i was helping her get uh, a, a a blog started for uh, uh, her, her sort of this new uh, this new how to characterize it this new phase this new uh, part of her work she's she's transitioning in, in these days over the last few months um, she's uh, uh, left her longtime position uh, as the uh, managing editor the editor of the uh, women in aviation magazine uh, she's passed it on to a great new editor and uh, now uh, amy is is, uh, is uh, exploring all sorts of uh, areas of both uh, traditional freelance writing and other new media things. And one of the things she wanted to get going was a blog. And, and everyone should start to watch her blog. It's just gotten started. There aren't a lot of posts there just yet. But uh, I bet there will be. And, I, and, and uh, it's Amy, so it's going to be some really cool stuff. Uh, you can check out uh, Amy Laboda's uh, blog at www.amylaboda.com. A-M-Y-L-A-B-O-D-A. Did I get that right? Dot com. Oh. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, you know, add it to your feed reader so that you can uh, uh, keep up with the, the things that Amy's working on. What else, Jeb? Any others? Or are we done? Fork time? I think we can rattle that flatware a little bit. Yeah. One of those voices out there, a voices out there is Dave Higdon. Dave is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, what have you been working on? Anything fun? Stuff. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I stump yeah. you guys with this question every week. Uh, yeah, every week I get to this point and I, my brain goes, oh, damn. Do you live in a basement apartment? Yes. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, they, they give little lousy basement apartments the letter A instead of a number. Right. I've lived in basement apartments. Yeah. I've lived in penthouse apartments. 
I've lived in penthouse basements. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. David, where can people find you on the Internet to learn about these things that you're writing about? Oh, at avbuyer.com, where you can link up to my stuff in uh, World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Uh, you could uh, look at aea.net and click on the avionics news link, where they're nice enough to uh, pretty regularly hang one of my stories within their pages or do a Google search and enjoy the variety. And on the Twitter, you are uh, twitter.com slash real Higdon. Real Higdon. That's right. The real deal. And Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Have you been working on anything interesting, Jeb, other than building uh, home improvement projects? Other than home improvement projects and and, uh, generally trying to stay off the the grid here for a few days, uh, no, is the quick answer. But that's about to change next week. Um, Got a bunch of stuff in the hopper um, um, for uh, that project. Uh, outlet that uh, Dave was just mentioning, the Aircraft Electronics Association, AEA.net. Um, got a couple of articles ginning up for them. Um, the uh, March issue of Aviation Safety Magazine is ginning up. Uh, uh, I think uh, even Mr. Higdon here might uh, uh, find himself in that particular issue. Um, we'll see how it all comes out once I'm finished with it. But... Uh, uh, so I can guess I DV, can I DVR that tonight? Um, no, not oh. tonight. It's not going to be ready tonight. Ah, just. <laughs> but uh, um, there was something. Oh, I was going to just going to say simply the uh, the previous little topic that Dave and I were on. Um, the the first rule is we can't really talk about it. Um, the second rule is we can't talk. Can't really about talk it. about it. <laughs> well, when you can talk about it, where do people find it on the internet? Uh, well, uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com, AEA.net, uh, JEBurnside.com, uh, the Facebook machine, and the Twitter machine, where I'm uh, Burnside J, the letter J. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, you can check out my Kindle eBooks uh, on Amazon.com. Uh, the uh, my author page is uh, Amazon.com/author/jackhodgson. Um, I've begun work in earnest on Volume Three of the uh, collection of old around the field columns, which are my stories from the uh, Oshkosh Fly-In, and uh, this will cover the years 2005 through 2007. Uh, I, I'm hoping I've set the goal of having that done uh, by Sunday. And fun and, and and available uh, through the Kindle store by Sun and Fun. We'll see if I pull that off. So uh, I'm working on that. Um, we've got a, a great new interview uh, in the uh, Around the Field podcast series, uh, uh, the part one of an interview I did with uh, with uh, uh, CFI and, and Acro instructor extraordinaire Don Weaver, um, uh, who was involved with Acro Camp. That's over on the Around the Field uh, site. And uh, what else? Well, that's an, and we got the forums fixed. That was a big accomplishment. That was a big thing I've been working on. So that's a good thing, too. And uh, you can learn more about me at aroundthefield.net, uh, also at jackhodgson.com. And uh, on Twitter, I am twitter.com slash jackhodgson. Big thanks to Jeff Ward for all his help with uh, the show notes and in the forums. Uh, don't forget to check out the rest of the UCAP website. You can chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners in the Uncontrolled Airspace forums. And you can also see what, who is doing what in the new ratings webpage of fame and much, much more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. 
Uh, we are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Chip Tip Jar. Easy for me to say. Uh, it doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big, big help. Hey, David, were you going to tell us something? Yeah, there's a way to make time stand still. That's go fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Adios. Adios.